You're listening to the audio version of the Courtauld Digital Media blog. My name is Jill Stoker and I'm a digitization volunteer. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this post. 18th century China under the pen of William Alexander. An amazing journey following the British Embassy. It was written by Rui Jian Zhang, dated the 3rd of September 2019. In 1792, William Alexander, a British artist born in Maidstone, Kent, was chosen to accompany Lord McCartney's embassy to China as a junior draftsman at the age of 25. Very few of his works dating from before this journey are known, so it's likely that this was Alexander's first proper commission. It's also known as the first ever British diplomatic mission to China. The goal was to meet the Emperor to relax restrictions on the British merchant's trade port in China due to the growing demand for tea and other Chinese products, such as porcelain and silk, and to introduce new British products to the Chinese market. The British also hoped to secure new ports and a small island of their own. They tried to promote a direct line of communication between the two governments by establishing a permanent embassy in Beijing. The embassy were elaborately prepared for their diplomatic mission, bringing gifts of superior quality, including clocks, telescopes, weapons, textiles and other technology products intended to reflect Britain's national character of ingenuity, exploration and curiosity about the natural world. May to June 1793, Vietnam. According to the Witt Library's collection and online records, there are a couple of Alexander's drawings of people he met at what is now Tu Ron Bay in Vietnam, where the embassy resided during May and June 1793, before landing in China. One of these images, Mandarin with pipe bearer shows two figures. The Mandarin sits on the left, reclining in a white robe and dark coloured turban, holding a fan in one hand. His long curly beard cascades delicately, almost down to his waist. His pipe bearer stands to the right, wearing an open waistcoat and neckerchief with a coat or blanket tucked under one arm and holding the pipe ready to hand to his master when the time is right. The other image is natives of Cochin, China, playing a shuttlecock. All around are palm trees and trees with leafier foliage. A group of men play, watched by a group of figures in the left foreground. 19th to the 23rd of June, 1793, Macau. After a nearly 10-month voyage starting from Portsmouth, the full squadron 
finally arrived at Macau, China, on the 19th of June, 1793. There, the embassy disembarked to meet with officials of the East India Company. As they carried many large precious items that might be damaged if taken overland, they got permission from the emperor to change route to the closest port of Tianjin instead of the official port of Guangdong. On the 23rd of June, the embassy continued by sea to the northeast to meet the emperor, the goal of this journey. An image in the Whit Library attributed to William Alexander is called Portrait of the Purveyor to Lord McCartney's Embassy, Macau. The drawing is unfinished, with most of the detail around the head and shoulders of the subject. The man has plump cheeks, a moustache, and wears a cap. Although incomplete, the sketch suggests the man is richly clothed in an embroidered tunic with voluminous sleeves. 21st of August, 1793, Beijing. The British contingent entered Beijing on the 21st of August through one of the western gates of the city, the Pingzi Gate. According to the authentic account by the Embassy's Secretary-General, Sir George Staunton, published in 1798, quote, our arrival was announced by the firing of guns and refreshments were made ready for all the gentlemen at a resting place within the gate. A colour plate in the Witt collection shows Alexander's depiction of the Pingze Gate. The view is from outside the city walls, looking towards the gate's great towers and palace within. In the foreground are people carrying goods on their shoulders or pushing carts with children or animals in tow. An elegant bridge with three arches crosses a blue river. The towers are enormous with at least seven stories. They are square and taper upwards, each level slightly smaller than the one below. Between each level are hip roofs with upturned eaves curving gracefully at each corner. August 1793, Beijing. On the 25th of August, four days after their arrival in Beijing, Alexander's attention was attracted by a building, the Audience Hall, the main hall of the Old Summer Palace. Yuan Ming Yuan. He writes in his journal, quote, Before this magnificent building is a platform of granite on which are four large urns of brass. They are handsomely ornamented and used for burning perfumes when the emperor is present. The cornice of the hall on the outside is very rich, being gilt and coloured red and green in a very splendid manner. The front and sides have narrow folding doors from bottom to the top, 
any of which can be opened for the admission of air. Alexander's drawings held in the Witt collection show two views of the palace and its grounds. A front view of the audience hall at Yuan Ming Yuan and a view in the gardens of the Imperial Palace at Pekin. Both of these images are very detailed, showing figures wandering the grounds and relaxing in or rowing boats. Alexander pays special attention to the audience hall's ornate roof. It was at the Summer Palace that the gifts brought by the embassy were stored, amongst other tribute items. Two members of the embassy were responsible for assembling and arranging the gifts. The most important item, the planetarium, was so complex that it took 18 days to assemble. The Summer Palace, widely regarded as the pinnacle work of Chinese imperial garden and palace design, would later be devastated by British and French troops during the Second Opium War in 1860. It was so large that it took 4,000 men three days of burning to destroy it. The reason for this destruction remains highly controversial today. We know that it consisted of extensive art collections and historical treasures of China, Europe, Tibet and Mongolia, and its former splendour can be seen from the stolen sculptures, porcelain, jade, silk robes, elaborate textiles and gold objects now held in 47 museums around the world, as well as the remaining ruins in Beijing. 2nd of September 1793, departure from Beijing. Since it was autumn, the emperor was leading a ritual hunting expedition north of the Great Wall of China at Jehol, today Chengdu, a tradition inherited from his grandfather. Having left behind the planetarium and other gifts at the old summer palace, about 70 members of the mission, among them 40 soldiers, departed Beijing on the 2nd of September, heading north towards Jehol. The group crossed the Great Wall of China, where they were greeted by ceremonial gunfire and several companies of troops of the Qing military. They made a survey of the Great Wall's fortifications, thereby contributing to the intelligence-gathering aspect of the mission, though at the expense of arousing suspicion among their Chinese hosts. Some of the men, meanwhile, took bricks from the wall as souvenirs. An engraving after Alexander shows the Great Wall of China snaking across mountains. He's captured the sturdy towers and the crenellated walls that line the raised walkway. 14th of September 1793, Changdu. A colour engraving after Alexander 
is held in the wit, with the title, The Emperor of China Approaching His Tent in Tartary to Receive the British Ambassador, Lord McCartney. This drawing shows the meeting that took place on the 14th of September 1793 in the Imperial Park at Jahol. It was held in the Imperial Tent, a large yellow yurt which contained the Emperor's throne at the centre of a raised platform. Several thousand attendees were present, including other foreign visitors, the Viceroy and the Emperor's son, the future Jiaqing Emperor. Sir George Staunton recalls in his account, quote, The Emperor soon appeared from behind a high and perpendicular mountain skirted with trees, as if from a sacred grove, preceded by a number of persons busied in proclaiming aloud his virtues and his power. Unquote. McCartney entered the tent along with Sir George Staunton, his 12-year-old son George Thomas Staunton, and their Chinese interpreter. The others waited outside. McCartney was the first to approach the Emperor on the platform, kneeling once, exchanging gifts, and presenting a letter from King George III. He was followed by Sir George Staunton, and finally by young George Thomas Staunton, who can be seen kneeling before the Emperor in Alexander's depiction. As Thomas had been studying the Chinese language, the Emperor beckoned to him to speak a few words. The British were followed by other envoys. A banquet was then held to conclude the day's events. The British were seated on the Emperor's left in the most prestigious position. Alexander's colour engraving in the Wit Collection has the title Chian Lang presenting a purse to George Thomas Staunton inside the imperial tent at Jahol. In my opinion, the emperor, who appeared imposing and arrogant, was in fact fearful and worried, and wanted to hide this from the embassy. In his early years, he was known for his attractive and affable personality. He was one of the longest reigning rulers in the history of the world during the most splendid and prosperous era in the empire with an extremely large population and economy and having completed military campaigns which expanded the dynastic territory. However, by 1793, he was spoilt with power and glory, disillusioned and complacent the court was full of corruption and civil society was stagnating. The outcome was that in the letter he gave McCartney for the British king, he said, quote, This also is a flagrant infringement of the usage of my empire and cannot possibly be entertained. Unquote. He even used the word barbarian to describe foreign merchants. His opinion 
that China was still the central kingdom informed his refusal to take on British advancements in science and technology, holding back China's journey to modernization. However, under this arrogant appearance was his concern for the safety of his country and fear of the internal unrest and transformations that might result from unrestricted foreign access. Qianlang sensed an unavoidable conflict between the two nations, even though he later placated the British with unspecified promises in order to avoid military conflicts, the unbalanced trade difference led to British traders smuggling large quantities of opium to southern China, causing a national addiction crisis and resulting in the opium wars, which compromised China's sovereignty and economic power for almost a century. There are many people in Alexander's drawings who are smoking tobacco with a long pipe, which gives a clue to the popularity of opium in China years later, resulting in the wars. The people depicted are smoking regardless of gender, class or age. As Alexander said, quote, I imagine smoking to be more practised in China than any other part of the world. September 1793, the journey forward. Though some of Alexander's contemporaries were able to visit China, none could venture far inland due to restrictions at certain trading ports. After his return and the publication of his work in the early 19th century, China became a strong inspiration in British art and design, one particularly notable example being the interior design of the Royal Pavilion in Brighton. This fascination owes much to the new, reliable, and exciting glimpses into Chinese landscape, architecture, people and art that Alexander provided like no artist before. Alexander helped to shape the idea of China in the West. 13th of October 1793, Qianjin. An engraving by Alexander called the temporary pavilion erected for the landing of the ambassador depicts the busy preparations for a ceremony. The view is from the middle of a river filled with boats, crowding towards a pavilion on the banks of the waters. There are flags and standards all around. The building was constructed by order of the city's chief mandarin, for the purpose of complimenting the ambassador and entertaining him and his suite with refreshments. Sir George Staunton wrote in his account, quote, The entertainment consisted of a profusion of poultry, confectionery, fresh fruits, preserves and jars of wine, unquote. 4th of November, 1793 the Golden Island in the Yangtze River. Staunton's entry for this day was, quote, 
in crossing the river our attention was directed to an island situated in the middle of the river called chin shan or the golden mountain which rose almost perpendicularly out of the river and is interspersed with gardens and pleasure-houses art and nature seem to have combined to give this spot the appearance of enchantment unquote. alexander's illustration the golden island in the yangtze kien shows sailing boats anchored at the island a six-storey pavilion tower can be seen on the island with dreamlike mountains in the mist beyond. 7th of November, 1793, Suzhou. On the 7th of November, the embassy reached Suzhou, where the combination of boats and bustling figures struck an immediate chord in Alexander's mind. He wrote, quote, At 2 p.m., arrived at the famous and flourishing city of Suzhou. Many houses project over the canal, reminding me of Canaletto's views in Venice. Unquote. It was so crowded here that it took them three hours to reach the city, which perhaps left enough time for Alexander to depict everything in such detail in his drawing on the river at Suzhou even including himself sketching. On the blog post itself, the small figure of Alexander is circled in blue among the crowds, giving an idea of the vastness of the scene. 16th of November, 1793, Hangzhou. One drawing from this stage of the journey is particularly delightful. In Economy of time and labour, exemplified in a Chinese waterman at Han Chu Fu, Alexander seems interested in how the waterman is sailing his boat. He accompanied this image with a note. Quote, the waterman was uncommonly expert, and it was not unusual to see a large boat entirely managed by one man who rowed sailed, steered, and smoked his pipe at the same time." Unquote. If you're interested in reading more about this history, I can recommend the Wikipedia pages for the McCartney Embassy and the Emperor, as well as the Opium Wars. I would also recommend an article about William Alexander entitled shaping an image of China in the West on Brighton Museum's website.